0: What's good, y'all? It's your girl, Chanae Ogwomike.
1: And I am Lisa Leslie. I am the mentor. She's the mentee. And you guys are front and center. Lisa
0: Leslie, my big sis. How is your week going?
1: Let's see. This week has been going really good. Um, well, I think the fun part for me, I've been helping my best friend plan her wedding. Now, here's the deal with me and weddings. <sighs> I cannot stand to be in weddings, um, probably because my first wedding I was in, which was my mom's, to my stepfather, and I almost fainted because the candles, I got too close to the candles, and you know, six five, and me and the candles didn't mix, so I almost fainted there. I had to sit down.
0: Oh my
1: goodness. Oh not know, messing people's weddings up. Um, my wedding was cool. I enjoyed it because it was outdoors in Hawaii, so that was fun. But for my best friend, I'll be her matron of honor. And, um, yeah, so we've been picking out colors and stuff. It's been kind of fun. Only yeah, like through Pinterest. Was,
0: that, was, that was what I was trying to figure out. What colors are you settling on?
1: Um, Mauve. Maybe. I think. But, like, there's a mauve and then there's, like, dark mauve. Like, somewhere in between there. she's kind of like a dark peach. Somewhere in there I'm very... I'm
0: what mauve is. Oh, you don't know what oh. mauve
1: is? Mauve is, like, in the... Between Lilac-y. pink and lilac. Yes. Between pink, lilac, not lavender off almost like your shirt no this is definitely in the purple family but similar i need some more lipstick too by the way so anyways how was your week what you've been up to
0: i've been exploring the food around my area i don't know if i've talked to you about it i've decided that i need to actually enjoy because you know we talked about before
1: wait i thought the lady was gonna drop off some meals you switched it up already so i've
0: had a couple frozen meals because i've eaten a lot of her meals already, and so huh. I, like I got backlogged. so I've been pacing them out mm. with like everything else. I've been also trying to cook, but you know, I said earlier I was watching Emily in Paris, this Netflix show about <gasps> a young American woman that goes to Paris. Have you started watching?
1: So you know, because you told me this two or three times. Guess who's watching it too? What do you think? How far in are you? Um, maybe I'm like episode six or so. We'll put it this oh, way: I her and the neighbor went out without the girlfriend. Am I making sense to you?
0: Yeah. I mean, They say if you don't have a ring on it, then everybody's up, forget,
1: you know? No, no, no. I am not from that. See, that's the generational problem right there. No, (laughs) that is a no. If I, no, that is not the rule, Jenae. If that is someone's man and you know that woman, first off, that is a no. Okay, yes, absolutely. I'm just saying,
0: if you don't know that woman you didn't know he was someone else's boyfriend. No, no,
1: that's not the situation. You, you messed up. I can't get up. myself out of this Exactly. You're right. Because she know that when the day that she found out that that, was, that she, the girl that was her friend, that that was her boyfriend, it's like, oh, dude, all bets are off. Period. Like, I
0: agree. You okay, look, I absolutely 100% agree with that. Like, I would never want to be the other woman in that scenario. Mm-hmm. But what I will tell you is in 2020, there are a lot of women that are out there that don't mind blurring some lines if they feel like this person is the prize. Yeah. And so that's what I have to deal with. Like, oh great, I feel great about being with you, dude. And then it's like some women might not respect those boundaries and I'm not going to be one of those women. So I appreciate you, Lisa. We have established that. But the only reason I bring up Emily in Paris is because it inspired me to like actually, you know, I said it earlier, some people live to work and some people work to live. And I was like, I need to sort of be in an in-between because we work a lot, Lisa. Yeah. And I think we are grateful for the jobs we have, but I don't want to look back and be like, I didn't enjoy what was right in front of me. So safely in COVID pandemic times, I'm like, all right, let me go pick up some food from different places, start yeah. enjoying my neighborhood out here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And so I went out to an Italian spot that was amazing. Um, Locada Veneta, which is an Italian spot, had lasagna. Locata, my Locara. Veneta. Locada Veneta, Veneta, which is really nice. And you know you want to guess who I went with? You're going to laugh so hard. You can guess it. I, I, I'm rooting well, for you. Well, I only
1: got a few choices. Acho? Absolutely.
0: Oh, okay. We went to dinner, which was fun. And I also went to the milk shop in L.A. where they do desserts. And I went just because I was like exploring. You know, it was one long day. And I was like, let me just go get something to like eat, you know, dessert wise late at night. And so the milk shop, I went there. And I was asking them questions and the guy was like, you know, everyone really comes here for this Fruity Pebble ice cream. And I was like, what is that? And it's a massive ice cream sandwich made out of macaroons. And then they put ice cream in there that's strawberry as well. So it's pink strawberry macaroons with pink ice cream
1: and vanilla. And And then lined around with the Fruity Pebbles? Yeah, Fruity Pebbles. This is such a generational ice cream choice. Let me just tell you. With the friggin' fruity pebbles wrapped around. That is so gross.
0: It's not gross. It's so good. I love sweet, you know? And so I just decided to, like, people drive thousands of miles, well, a long distance yeah. to go <laughs> and try this ice cream. They said they come from all around the state. Sometimes when people fly and they make sure they go there. And I, I did my due diligence. I looked up on, like, this ice cream shop has, like, 88,000 followers. Like, so many people love it. So I was surprised that this was just right in my neighborhood, which was kind of cool. Yeah. So, My whole goal this last few weeks has been to be in the present. Don't just finish working and go to bed and start prepping. It's like, do something for you.
1: And that comes through food. Okay, so then give me the advice. How do I do that? Do you do that through Yelp? How are you finding these places that are around you and then trying it out? Or how are you getting information about them? Are you just like Googling like what's near me? I'm just
0: Googling. I'm going through Yelp. I'm looking at the pictures online. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing, you know, I'd rather go pick it up fresh than like have it food delivered just because. I know we got to support our food delivery services, but if I can also get rid of a situation where like someone else is touching my food, I try to Um, do it. So uh, I've been looking on Yelp and I've just been exploring. Like I have not been judging so much. You know, usually you call people like, is this good? What's the spot? And I found another great Thai spot right next to me. So I'm starting to get the whole LA energy over here. Like why people like the food and the
1: culture and like why people dress up, even though I'm just taking my food and leaving. Okay, I like that. You got to take me to the Thai spot when I come because Thai is one of my favorites. One of my favorites. I don't know if it's in your area, but Natalie's. I'm close to that. Natalie Thai. N A T
0: A L E. -E. Oh yeah, is that the one you're
1: talking about or no? I've had it before, but I
0: tried the one place that was closer to me. But I am close to that area. Oh, Natalie Thai is like amazing.
1: I love Natalie's. So now that we've gotten into what's happened this week, thank you for the for the the. recommendation. I do like uh Emily in Paris. I'm enjoying that. I don't watch it with Michael because it's very chick flick, but I really enjoyed it, it in my own time. I took a bath and watched it. So, you know my favorite pastime is taking a bath.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, I
1: was second in a bath and I watched it in there. So, I enjoyed it a lot.
0: Oh, no, I got you always. You know what's funny because it's all about California, you know, me being a Cali girl, exploring my, you know, Emily in Paris vibes it's Cheney and LA vibes over here. <laughs> And I'm so excited because today we will get to talk to a guest who is a California stan, mm-hmm. California born and raised. And we've decided that we will focus on the moolah, money. And it all starts with finding your passion, which will hopefully lead to success. But first, we're going to go to break really quick so Lisa can go and grab her wallet and run me my money, right, Lisa? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Bambo,
1: Zell. I'm all about Zell.
0: I'm all about Zell too, and we will dive into all of that right after this.
1: back, guys. So, Trinae, when we get into like really understanding finances and just people really trying to get to their level of success, whatever that level is, did you know that nearly 66 percent of employees are either not engaged or actively disengaged in their job? Like most people in America really don't love the job that they're doing, like no matter what their field is. Do you think it's almost impossible to be successful if you're disengaged?
0: I think there's some people out there that may not love their job, but they do it Mm. and they find success at it. And the only thing that gives them happiness is probably the money aspect. Like, okay, now I can get paid. Yeah. But basically what you outlined is that every two out of three people are not probably doing what they love. And to me, that sort of breaks my heart because when you tap into doing what you love, that's when you tap into yourself. That's when you tap into your excellence. And so I think it's sort of, on one hand, hopefully creating pathways for people to be happy by like doing your job so that you can create opportunities for others. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, it's like, man, you know, there's a lot of people out here doing real work and probably don't feel appreciated for it. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, when it came to my jobs, it's funny. I started off
1: as. Wait, how many jobs do job you have? Ever... Tell me all your jobs. Just tell me the list first. Okay, everybody so I started know. off.
0: <laughs> I know, right? I started off as the receptionist for our middle school when I was like in middle school. And then I was a sports referee, and then I was a teacher at a community college during the summertime, which was more of so like a day, uh, what do you call it, a babysitter for like some young kids that would go to the community college, which okay. was fun. And then I went to college, which was another job. Let's keep it straight. Full-time. And then, <laughs> full-time job. And then went to the pros, and that's another job. On top of starting broadcasting, mm-hmm. investing my own money, and now taking on the responsibilities of professionally representing brands. Uh, for me, it's a shoe sneaker brand, Adidas. It's companies that are like television providers. There's a number of brands now that look to us as delivering services as well, You know, using our platforms that sports has created, at least for me in my life. Yeah. So I've had a lot of experiences with jobs, but a lot of them have been tied to things that I love, like you know, back in school, being at the school, growing up in a school, With my sisters. It was a fun job. You know, sports, I was a referee. Working community college again. Wait, tell me how you said
1: sports referee. Like what sport are we talking about? So I refereed
0: volleyball and basketball when I was in high school. And I remember I used to got I think I got paid like 10, maybe it was like $20 an hour and now you say referee, you mean
1: you were calling the lines like in.
0: Yeah, I was calling the lines in, out. (laughs) Yes. I was that referee sitting up at the top. You know, like Oh, you you sat in the chair at the top? I sat in the chair at the top okay. uncomfortably with my legs all crunched, but yes, I sat, I sat up there on the top. <laughs> so those were my jobs. And I've been fortunate to be able to have jobs that I love that are tied to things that I love and also have jobs that just were waiting for me. You know, I didn't have to like wait years to get drafted. Like I transitioned from college, get drafted in now, like, mm-hmm. and I'm doing two jobs simultaneously. So money has always been something that I've never really thought of because I've been lucky to be taken care of. Like, my family, my parents, two parent household, go to Stanford taken care of, go to the pros in the WNBA we're taking care of because yeah. we're trying to figure out the situation with the money. So like you get your apartment, you get your car, all that type of stuff. And so now in the pros, especially now not playing overseas like most players, I'm taking care of myself for the first time, but I'm lucky to be in a position where I love my job. How about you? How has your experience been, you know, starting? You told me, you always said it, you bring it up. You cut grass as a kid, like. <laughs> Or you you no, know, what it was I mean? watering
1: like, grass.
0: A water grass. You know, we we used to edge our grass, and my mom used to give us a couple dollars for that. But clearly you
1: started young. Well, to be really honest, that was my only job. Like watering grass, I got paid three dollars a week uh for different yards. And so I had a piggy bank and I would put my two dollars in and keep one dollar out so I could go to the liquor store and buy suckers and stuff and, and then share with my older sister. You know how we do with our sisters. So The funny thing is, I really felt like I never had a job job beyond being seven years old because I started playing basketball at 12. Basketball just, I mean, that is a job in itself, but you're a kid, you're just playing. That took me around the world. I mean, I went, I played, I lived in Italy. I lived in Russia, got to eat some amazing food, learn to speak another language. Like that was work, obviously, because I got paid. Then I was a brand ambassador, you know, for Nike since the day I like, finished my basketball college career. I signed with Nike and I've been with them ever since. So I think jobs that I've had really came from having the best blessing for me was the fact that my uncle, my cousin, my aunt, they are all accountants. And to be a part of a family that has accountants and then I started making, you know, six figures and seven figures, like really started making money. That was the biggest difference of like having someone that could give me financial guidance of, listen, the most important thing to do is to save your money and invest in real estate. And when I got that message, I was what, by the time I was like 24, I mean, I owned my own home. I had two cars like that really was because I came from a family who was educated about money and financing and how to invest it. So shout out to Simpson and Simpson and to all my family and my cousins for doing my books and just. My uncle, you know, advising me and telling me to buy property. And, you know, I bought my second home, which was for my mom. That really saved me. And that's how I had more financial literacy. But here's the key. I didn't understand it, even though I was being told what to do. And that's why I went back to school to get my master's, because I wanted to understand what was I doing? I had a diverse portfolio. I had a little bit of stock because of my uncle's guidance but me really not understanding what all of that meant. And I, you know me, you know, I love to learn and not really understanding all the spectrum of what was happening. That was tough for me. I just knew to make sure I signed all my checks and keep up with that. And so from there, as I really got opportunities through the WNBA, I started, you know, doing like you guys do, being a part of the player association and being there, flying in and speaking and helping with contracts. And then I started having opportunities I wouldn't say I was the face of the WNBA, but I was used probably the most. And you are. Well, I was used the most in deals. I was like brought in, you know, with the late David Stern and with Val Ackerman. And I would come in with the American Express of the world and Sears and sit in and be a part of those negotiations. And then on the side, get a deal (laughs) to do anything. And then from there, having opportunities to go to like. NBA All-Star Weekends, it was about networking. So sometimes people didn't understand back then the importance. I mean, networking now is a buzzword. Like people do it all the time. You got social media, you know, people slide into your DMs, that's networking now. But back then you had to have the presence and the ability to speak and communicate with these people and understand their brand. Also, I believe early I understood what my brand was. My brand was about, I was, yes, I was a basketball player, but I was so much more than that. I did modeling. I did speaking. I was doing acting. So for me, it was just be as diverse as possible. And using all of that challenged me to think of these things. In basketball, we're challenged. We're pushed every day. We work hard. We're focused. We have failures. We have highs and lows. From that, I felt like everything else outside of basketball was so much easier to do. It just took like hard work and dedication, which that's a no brainer for me. I'm going to be good at whatever I do. I put my mind to it, which brings me to my last point is that that's how I really got into real estate was that I started investing so much money into properties for myself. Then when my husband and I got together, that union was like he was already investing in properties. He had flipped properties. We started buying commercial buildings and it just sort of kept going in a way that I really loved real estate. And so cut to moving to Florida, we got licensed and we were just like, you know what, we could help other people, whether it's them buying their first homes or a luxury home. We've kind of been in this for so long, we thought it'd be best to really become experts and then help other people and especially other people of color, just getting financing, all of those things. So for me, I feel like business and then coaching, you know, with the big three, we've had so many job opportunities. I can just go on and on, but so many job opportunities that really the thing for me is that I will always do things that I'm passionate about, things that I wake up and I'm excited about. And I think that's really the key. Do you feel that with the fact that you started to invest in properties, which, you know, I get so excited about, but the real estate market booming, how has that been for you as far as having residual income?
0: Well, it's interesting because I've seen two different sides of it. And first and foremost, I'd like to say, like, Lisa, what you're doing is so amazing, especially when it comes to real estate, because I think we are now just opening our eyes to how inequitable real estate and housing and access to property has been, Mm -hmm. whether it's policies locally within the state that need to just be fixed. And so like for you to be able to make people's dreams come true, you know, especially through your representation to me, like that's like that's doing it now, not waiting for someone else to do it. And I love that. And my experience has been twofold when it comes to property. We've always heard like coming out, you know, into the professional ranks, you know, you transition from college to the pros and we have lovely people like you, Lisa Leslie, but then also Tamika Catchings was there as the president of the WMBPA who said, look, make sure you get your money right. Make sure you sign your forms, get your W-2s, like submit all the way for your 401ks. Like, I know you want your money now. You This is your first time looking at all this money. But look, make the budget cuts now mm-hmm. so that later on you'll feel it, especially when it came to 401k things. So we sort of had that writing on the wall. And so for me, we've always heard like investing in property is the way to go. That is something that's permanent. That is something that's protected. Obviously, like I always tell my mom, mom, make sure we got flood insurance, make sure we got all the insurance. Like <laughs> I just want to make sure my babies are good. Yeah. So that's something we've been doing slowly, but surely and me have a couple properties in Texas. You know, I'm here in LA. Now it's like, okay, if I'm here for a long time, like, am I going to be in a situation where it brings me to my second half of this? Like, rent is so annoying. I think everyone feels that energy. Rent, in the sense that you're paying money and that money, you're not seeing a return on. It's not like you own the house. Yeah. So for me, it's like making that decision when would be the right time for me to switch from rent to like owning, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But now also knowing that I'm in the market where when I had to move from being downtown in LA to outward, I was like, wow, there's a discount right now. Like there's a discount on, you know, due to the pandemic, due to the situation mm-hmm. we're in, the economic turn. I got a couple months rent free because of the situation we're in. But then a couple months later, now the rent's going right back up, right. and so it's just one of those things that it's hard to get a pulse on and a read. And also do this like in California when I know the prices of property in Texas, I'm like, girl, yeah. like, I can understand like Florida moved like yeah. all the way <laughs> after living here, and I learned it mostly at my gas tank, like that's where it's reminded me. But real estate has always been something that seems like permanent. It's something that can be passed down. It's not like you spend your money on you. And you're feeling good for yourself. You feel good because it's something that can be passed down from generation to generation. And to me, that's the power. But like Lisa, you and your husband are just, I don't know how you do it because we're talking about jobs and you have so many different jobs, but in the middle of all these jobs, you guys have chosen to write books to pass on these lessons to the next generation. When you wrote your book, From the Court to the Boardroom, what was the premise? What did you take away from that experience, from transitioning from the court all the way to the boardroom?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is just not to be in a box. I don't have to be just one thing. And it's so funny because when I'm out in public and people are like, oh, are you a basketball player? That question to me, I almost cringe now. Like, "Uh, yeah, I guess I'm that basketball player. (laughs) But I'm like, girl, I don't even think about basketball. Like I am not a basketball player anymore, but I think I will forever be that basketball player. So It's just interesting because I've always had these other things going on. Even when I was playing, going back to get my master's, I was always thinking about business and the transition that, you know, we cannot play forever. And considering I played to like 35 years old, I believe, which is still a long time to play. You're still so young and have so much life. So I think the idea of just planning to do things that you're passionate about, do things that you would do for free, I think is important, and then as a business owner and having my own entity with Lisa Enterprises, that sort of being my door to open up different streams of revenues. Whether it was with Nike, whether it's with CBS Sports Network, whether it's me public speaking, which I probably get paid more in public speaking than anything else, you know, aside from real estate. Real estate's been pretty awesome because it's a residual income that constantly comes in because we own properties and we have Airbnbs, as you already know. So. I have multiple streams of income, and that's really important to me. And so, from the transition from playing sports, I feel like I just work hard. I work in life the way that I worked on the court. I hustle, I get after it, I make sacrifices. And those sacrifices sometimes are, you know, I come back in my office at 9 p.m., and I may decide to focus on something like going back to school to get my license. And from 9 to midnight, I'm going to, you know, burn that candle, if you will, and focus on getting something else, putting in that hard work or early morning, you know, with having kids, I have to balance my kids. I have to balance me, my schedule. And so I think it's really important for people to disrupt themselves, if you will. And I read a book, oh my gosh, um, by Whitney Johnson called Disrupt Yourself. And what I loved about this book was it was really just telling people that if you're in a job that you don't love, We're not saying go quit tomorrow, but you have to learn to disrupt yourself and sort of work backwards to like where do you want to be. Write those things down and figure out how you can get there. And what I loved about that book was about it really is about doing what you're passionate about and not being afraid, if you will, to change transition. No matter what age you are, to not be afraid to disrupt yourself, to disrupt your life and change lanes. And so for me, I like to pick to do things that. Um, one, I get to choose my own schedule, no matter what I'm doing. But also, I think basketball has really helped me be able to push through, persevere. I have failed in the tech company that you know I tried to start; that didn't work. That was failure. Maybe being with some brands that I'm no longer with, just because you know over time, three, four, five, six, seven years, your contract expires and you go your separate ways. Sometimes that feels like failure. But I think overall, I have loved having the opportunity to decide I want to do something and be something and go after it and really disrupt myself at times to achieve that goal.
0: Now, I'm hearing all this and I want to do that. So I kind of want to play this game with you, Lisa. I'm putting you on the hot seat, okay? For me, how would you want me to disrupt myself, considering you know me very well.
1: I think you have disrupted yourself, Janae. to be really honest with you. You could have decided to get into broadcasting after you finished playing. I know you hear, you know, people have voices and talk about like, oh, she's not that serious or whatever. But you've disrupted yourself in a way that you are doing the same way I did, multiple things that make you happy. Like I see you, you know, I tune in, I send you text messages, I watch you, I keep an eye out. You seem to be happy in your space and you're happy with yourself and you're being your authentic self. That is all you can ask of a person. And while you're young, without a husband and children, you should be spread a little thin with work. I don't have a problem with that because I know that you're going to find balance in that, whether that's you binge watching your your movies over the weekend and finding time for yourself to rejuvenate, having that alone time. Like we always talk about, we kind of need our own time to sort of recharge our batteries. I'm very proud of you because I think that you have already disrupted yourself in a way that has created a path for you on television and radio and becoming a public speaker. You're probably just going to check out all the stuff I do, which I have no problem with that. You're going to have your real estate, your portfolio would be vast. <laughs> I think that the things that I have done have been a great example. And I can always tell you what not to do because <laughs> I've done those things already too. You do that already today. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you're doing a great job. So you have already disrupted yourself, and you are you have two amazing platforms. You have more than two, but just with the WNBA, you're an amazing player. You were totally missed this season, and with ESPN, the future is bright.
0: All right, and this is what I will say, and this is my advice for you, big sis, there my me. mentor, about disrupting yourself. Yeah. You know, and I think everyone can sort of understand this message as well. In times like this. I think a lot of times we get insecure in the sense that, you know, we started off this whole conversation with 66% of people are disengaged with their jobs. People want to do what they love. And Lisa, you are so lucky and fortunate to have lived out so many people's dreams being the star. Girl, you a celebrity. And so I guess my advice would be when it comes to being disruptive is remember who the F you are, because Lisa, you are probably the most humble star I've ever met. And the power that you wield, I mean, everyone... Practically, that comes on here is like, yay! You know what I mean? And I love seeing people's eyes light up. And so, Lisa, you know, for me, I think you are just also stepping into this power and position where your voice is needed now more than ever. And so, watching you the last few months, be like, I'll go on CNN, I'll go on MSNBC. Oh, I, I know. I will write my feelings. Like I've seen it front and center. Like you remember and who you are, and people like they know you for one thing, and now they're seeing you for another. And that another is just so beautiful in that stand So this is something I appreciate about you. Mm. Keep doing that because that is your power. Um, Your platform that you've done for so long is amazing. But now your power is people are connecting the dots like, oh, that's Lisa's energy? Like, I'm here for that. And I think a lot of people sometimes don't remember to look at themselves in the mirror and seeing themselves for what they actually are, which Mm. is special, which is unique, which is powerful instead of what you are in your day-to-day, right? Like this, I'm defined
1: by my job. So that's my little thing. That was a good word. Thank you. I accept that in my spirit. Energy, But it's, (laughs) you know, you know, it, for me, I feel like I'm so different from the way I was playing because I was so aggressive and so like, you know, (laughs) but off the court, I'm just chill. Like, it's not that serious. I'm not full of myself. You know what I mean? Like, I just, that's just like my personality. I think I just, I don't ever really go into stuff like, you know who I am. Like, I would never say that anywhere. I don't assume people know who I am. I feel regular and I like that. I think, but also, I think that makes people feel like I'm their homegirl. Before COVID, like people would touch me or put me like, hey, Lee, you know, like, no, sorry, I'm not a kid here though. I am like your homegirl, but don't touch me. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. But like, okay, one more thing, Lisa,
0: because, you know, a lot of people will look at you and your life and me even being young and, Say like, wow, those are two very successful people. For that person that's trying to get to a position where they feel like they're
1: successful, what would you tell them? Here's my line of thought. One, write down your goals. Write down what you want to be, where you want to see yourself, what what job you think you would do for free, and write that down. Don't quit your job that you have now, but write down what you really want to be and what you want to do and work backwards from that list. And how you work backwards from that list is the fact that we have access to so much information on the computer, use it, find out, do your homework, research if there's somebody that's doing what you want to be doing. See if there's someone you can connect with, see if you can get a mentor, as I am Chanae's mentor, get a mentor <laughs> who can help you. Chanae sees my life and she wants to mirror it. I have no problem with that. I'm open book to give her the information that I use to do what I do. You have to find someone that works for you as a mentor. The other thing I think is, is um, I use the acronyms choice because life is about choices. We all have choices. We get to choose our religion. We get to choose what clothes we wear. We get to choose where we spend our time. Choices is that I make a lot of sacrifices to be successful, to have these different streams of income. So C is for competence. Make sure you educate yourself in whatever it is you want to do. H is for hard work. There is no secret. Everybody's out here working hard or you ain't going to get what you're looking for. There's only a few people that we could name that we're not going to name. Who got there without working hard. Um, mm-hmm. the O is for optimism. <laughs> Stay positive, be encouraged, have positive affirmations, and keep positive people around you. This is one thing you'll know about me. I almost never, probably 2% of any tweets or anything I do address negative people and negativity. I don't even entertain it. Although I gotta say, I did tweet back to somebody <laughs> just this past week <laughs> talking about I'm ignorant. <laughs> I'm like, what's ignorant is your punctuation and your spelling. But Anyway, that part. That part. So be optimistic. I is for integrity. Have integrity. Be a woman or a man of your word. You say you're gonna do it. Do it. You know what I'm saying? Like really be accountable. The other C is for courage. Have the courage to disrupt your life. To do something different. To go in a different direction. Have the courage to fail because you'll never know if you don't try. And the E is for execution. Some people have these lofty dreams and thoughts, but there's always these excuses of why. It didn't come to pass. Execute your goals. See it all the way through, just like we're doing with our podcast. Woohoo! We are executing our ideas right here. We are having the courage to do it, to be judged. Hopefully you guys will like it. And uh, yeah, deuces. is not that good? That is fantastic. I love it because
0: you are who you surround yourself with. And I'm lucky to be surrounded by you, my sisters, my family, my support system. Yeah that have really helped me. And these are all the choices we make. We choose people to interact with. We choose positivity. And that is way less energy than choosing negativity. But also, I'm really excited you brought this here because the Washington football team chose a president that we are a stand of. Yeah. Jason Wright will be joining us. And he is a winner all the way around it. Business, sports, and all of it. We'll get to that right after that. Our guest today is the, if I may say, youngish, 10 years older than me, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years younger, a couple of years younger than Lisa, the youngish, but more importantly, the first Black president in the history of the NFL, a league that has been going 100 years strong, the Washington football team. That's Jason Wright. We're so excited to have you here. And the coolest thing is that we have actually interviewed you on both of our sports shows, Lisa's and mine on ESPN for radio. You're a former athlete playing for Northwestern in college and seven years in the NFL for the Niners, Falcons, Browns and the Cardinals. A lot of teams, a lot of expertise. So once again, thank you for joining us, Jason.
2: Thank you. It's really my pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to talk with y'all.
1: Well, Jason, as Janae said, um, I got a chance to interview you on We Need to Talk on CBS Sports Network. And just found out that you're a huge Sparks fan, one. So that really like, got me so excited. That's how we exchange info. So happy to have you. And I just wanted to first say, again, congratulations on your new gig. Um, again, first Black president of NFL team. Uh, we talked about that you know, in August. Um, it's still so crazy in 2020 when you think about, we have to say, the first mm-hmm. Black. But uh, that's a part of it. How has the past few months been for you?
2: Yeah I mean, thank you again for having me. And um, you know, I'll say this when I think about you know, the subconscious things that made me think I could be here., For you know, yeah. example, the WNBA's example of black women leading not just in performing on the court, but also leading into coaching. Um, you know, folks you play with Penny Toll or others that like went on to do great things. Uh, Cheryl swoops, you know, like all these folks that went on to do big things it role modeled something that we weren't yet at in black male sports, frankly, ahead of the charge. And like in most things, like politics or others, black women carried the way. And so I appreciate the example that y'all set that, you know, got in my young brain that, you know, there's an opportunity there. So I just wanted to say that. I know i said that to you before, but I want to say it again on this podcast. Well, you
1: got to elaborate though, because this audience doesn't necessarily know yeah. how you got a chance to see okay, us. Okay, I'll elaborate. Like, I'll elaborate before me. I
2: jump into, you know, how it's been the last two months. Um, you know, I grew up, outside L.A. I grew up in L.A. County, grew up in Pomona, California, um, Diamond Bar, California. And we had L.A. Raiders season tickets, but then they left and we were looking for like, what's our team going to be? What's our team going to be? It could have been Lakers, could have been Clippers, could have been Rams. It was the Sparks in our household. We were season Mm -hmm. ticket holders for the Sparks (laughs) growing up. So like. I think I was in high school when all this took off. My little sister was, you know, junior high, late elementary school, junior high, and our weeks just revolved around these games. Like, we had our jerseys. We had, like, the green and and yellow, like, pom-poms. Like, we knew all the players. We knew the depth <laughs> chart. Like, we knew the schedule. Like, I mean, it was it was remarkable. And, you know, I can remember, especially in that inaugural season, all of the great moments, your first dunk live in a game and, you know, some of the first big wins You know in LA. Um, it was a moment where, as I said, it got in my head what it meant to be a vocal black role model um, mm-hmm. because WNBA was vocal from jump. Like y'all been on this from the beginning, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's new to everybody else. So it, it showed me that. It also was a way for me to bond with our family and have role models and heroes in our household that were women. And I think that informed how I evolved over time as a leader and as someone, especially when I got into the corporate environment, how I quickly learned about my gender biases and was able to adjust those because I had so many strong examples both in my family and from y'all on the court. And then it was just a blast, right? It was just fun.
0: Yeah. That's really awesome. And I know you've stepped into a role where being able to protect women is just so important. And I think that's why we are all relieved and happy and cheering and celebrating you being there because you come with that cultural awareness that you just outlined. You have educated yourself to gender bias. And to me, for that specific franchise, that's what is so necessary now. More important than even the football, like setting that culture so we are all rooting for you and your success. And the cool part about you is that you've seen all aspects of pretty much everything, like not just sports, but also business. You went from being a professional NFL player to entering the business world. And, you know, after you retired from the NFL, you got your business degree. Don't tell my mom because she's still holding that over me. Uh, and, um, <laughs> you went on to be... Become- you I still hear it man, to this day. So both of us more, have
1: our degrees today. you got to go back. You got yeah, to get that, that extra one. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get that extra one.
0: I got to get that extra one. But you went on and like it's awesome to see that you went on to become a partner at a management consulting firm. So why did you make the move to pivot sort of from sports? But then also, how did that help you now in your role? You know, after being a player in sports where you just expanded that platform and now have this amazing perspective for so much?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you yeah, the story, of the transition. And, and I think probably as you all can attest to, it looks good on the outside because where I am now, but that mess is hard. That transition is yeah. hard. You know, like football defined me since I was seven years old, you know, everything mm-hmm. evolved around that. And I was about to be 30 when I retired. So that's like 23 years of life where that is the core definition. It defines your life. It shapes everything, you know, like for me, you know, what I loved about the NFL was that I had an outsized voice on the things I cared about. And it wasn't the same topics as today. But back then for me, it was, you know, inner city education, economic development in the hood, faith and spirituality. And I wanted to continue to have impact on those. But nobody cared what I had to say anymore when I wasn't an athlete. And that was very hard for me. I felt like something had really been snatched away. And business school was a way for me to try to recapture that. And what I figured out during that period was no matter what your cause is or what you care about, They need money to make things happen. And that money comes from one of two places. It comes from businesses and the wealthy people that get rich off of those businesses. That's what funds the social stuff that we care about. Or it comes through the support, comes through politicians who themselves are funded by wealthy people. And so I said, I need to figure out how this money thing works (laughs) because that is the fulcrum for impact. I think it's the economy, it's being able to drive value in business that allows you to have a say in the causes you care about. And so I went all in I said, I want to learn this. And turns out I liked it way more than I thought. I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm. And I got the business calls I was like, oh, math, I can learn how to write algorithms. Like, oh my gosh. And so I realized, yeah, I came in it for this do-gooder piece, but wow, I actually think this is interesting. So let me just stay on this journey for a bit. And I ended up mm-hmm. becoming a partner at the firm I was at, and I loved it. And I wouldn't have left, frankly, I loved it, except for this sort of drop out of the sky.
1: Wow, that was a lot and so much good information. I recall you saying before as a running back for the Browns, it helped you sort of to inform this new role, if you will, as president of the Washington football team. How so? How did you connect
2: those? Yeah, I think y'all can relate to this too. There are a few things that I think as an athlete, even at the collegiate level, but definitely in the pros, that helps inform, I think, success post-career. The first one is I found, especially a lot of the folks I worked with previously, they're bright, but they had never measurably failed at anything. You know, they had never really failed at anything. And I think all of us as athletes, we have failed on a big scale. (laughs) (laughs) I fumbled in front of 80,000 people, been booed and been on sports centers, not top 10, you know? So like, for me, if I'm in the boardroom and under pressure and my, you know, the math and my model wasn't right and the CEO's mad, I'm like, all right, we'll be all right. We're gonna live, you know, it's not the same. And, And I think that resilience really helped me. And, you know, I got cut, I think, maybe eight or nine times before my first two years in the NFL were done, you know? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got fired a lot those first few years. You know, I got to the point where I didn't have enough money and I was living with my aunt and uncle in Atlanta, just basically giving them a little bit of gas money, running my aunt's numbers to the lotto as my rent. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like just... You know, it was, that builds a resilience in you when you've been through. Yeah. And that really helped me have a hardiness of maturity that I think helped accelerate my career um, when I got to the league. So I think that's one thing athletes get. I think the other thing uh, that athletes get is a work ethic. Like you just know how to grind. You know how to grind. You know when you're tired, when your body's saying it's time to shut down, you know how to push through. And that helps a ton. Now, we got to watch ourselves on work-life balance, but it helps a ton to be successful in the industry. And there's a million other things I could say, but, you know, my time in Cleveland really shaped that for me, as well as understanding how a football team can really be deeply connected to its community, which is very much the case with the Browns, and that's something I use now.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because we're so excited to have you here. You're the president of the Washington football team, and I think a lot of us hear that title and we're like, yes! but then we may not understand yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So could you sort of explain what you do? Because when you came on our show, you basically said, Coach is in charge of football and I'm in charge of the business. But we know right now, especially given your expertise, we're at the intersection of so much, both sports and society. So even though you have football here with decisions when it comes to playing, a lot of those decisions you will have to deal with in a different way. So could you sort of take us behind the curtain as a president of an NFL team, Mm -hmm. what that looks like, what you're doing in the day-to-day.
2: Yeah, I'll lay that out. So there is a a pretty clear division of responsibilities between me and Coach Rivera. Like, if you think about it most simplistically, like, I'm on point for dollars and cents. (laughs) He's on point for first downs and playoff (laughs) wins. You know what I mean? Like That's a simple way of thinking about it. Like, I'm here to make the money. But the two are tied, right? The better your team is, the easier it is for me on the business side. And this is what you're alluding to. There are ways for me to support the football side. So, you know, I've got my marketing function and my ticket sales function and all of that stuff. Operations. We run the stadium. We do all that. But, you know, I need to think about investments in the field and facilities for coach. If they say, hey, like we need to redo our practice field, which is something we're doing right now. There's too much water on it. We can't get the water off. Like I need to make that investment. I need to understand the business case and do that for them. You know, if, um, you know, if if the players are thinking about what they want to do around social justice and they want to magnify that platform, they want to work with our sponsors and partners. That's on me to make those connections and to make something that they want to do even bigger than it could have been. You know, so there's a lot of ways that I lean in on the football side, but it's to support what they're doing. And the same thing with coach. They lean in and help me because coach is an inspirational figure and I've got a culture change to manage and there's nothing better than having someone like Ron Rivera who carries so much integrity with that name to lean over to the business side and say hey I'm with you I want this culture to change I don't think we should be treated inequitably as well like so it's a partnership and I think over time we'll figure out even more ways that we can collaborate but you know if you think about it like I'm here to make that loop
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that loop <laughs> OK, so you talked a little bit more in, uh, in detail about the Washington football team. And I know you guys have had a fraught pass before you were there, um, but you're taking on a franchise amid a pandemic, toxic workplace allegations, a change in name and head coach, obviously, who's obviously been diagnosed with cancer as well. And I really love Coach mm-hmm. Rivera. I don't know him personally, but as a mm-hmm. fan, what is it like walking into an organization that's been through just really, so many things, and you're tasked to sort of change the narrative. And, and I kind of, when I was reading about this the first time I spoke with you, it reminded me of Lord, like President Obama in 2009. Like, <laughs> you just coming in with a deficit of, like, <laughs> man, there's a lot to fix. Well, and that was another
0: first, you okay. know, and,
1: and you're the first. So I, I just felt like they need a whole lot on this brother for the first That's time for right. him to have his That's position. Right. But, you know, what is it like to try to change this narrative?
2: That's real. That's the right characterization. It is it is a tough environment to step into. But that's what excited mm-hmm. me about it. There were so many things where, even though I know it's hard, I can see the clear path there. But I think I'll say a couple of things that I didn't realize. Because when an organization has been through so much, there's something of an organizational health issue, mm-hmm. like almost trauma, if you will, that you have to help the organization heal from. And I knew we'd have that in our workforce. And I'd worked with companies through this before as a consultant, as a partner at my former firm. So I feel like I knew the playbook for that. It's still hard. Still takes a lot of time. But I felt like I knew the playbook. I didn't realize our fans also as passionate and as committed as they are. Uh, they
1: they hurt too need too. help.
2: They're hurt too. There's a lot of mistrust between us and the fans, and that's something that I've had to sit back and absorb and recognize that you know, when I speak, it carries a lot of weight and people read a lot into it because they've been through some stuff with this club. And I realized that the only thing we can do is continue to just be authentic, be who we are, keep being transparent, keep being out there and speaking. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we have tough moments um, or we have to announce tough decisions or whatever it is, own them, engage with fans around them, don't shy away from it, don't go back into hiding because we're having a, a tit or tat, you know, um, yeah. a tiff or tat, like it's really important for us to remain open because I think that's what's been missing before. And I think over time, that openness, that transparency will heal.
1: You know, it's kind of interesting because the way you describe that, it's almost like parenting, right? Because there's different types of parenting and some parents are like hands-on, you got to get in there. I'm not necessarily trying to be your friend at times, but I'm trying to be honest with you. I'm trying to help raise and change the culture. I get that. And I think that approach will give you more long-term success than the latter, you know, where you kind of, some things are for them to hear, some things are, they're not, I don't know. I feel like that's, what's happening in our country right now. It's just like, you need the truth, right?
2: Yeah. And especially because the organization has been through so much and, you know, there's only so much patience left in folks, you know, honesty helps you move things forward more quickly. You can get there by like mixed messages and hiding your intent, but you can't get there quick doing it that way, you know? And so I think that's why the folks that I'm bringing in on my leadership team, the folks that I'm keeping on my leadership team, there's a high bar for integrity and honesty, transparency, Mm -hmm. Um, how you lead people, how you communicate, because those are skills that we absolutely need in the organization.
0: Yeah. And I think what both of you guys are kind of hitting on is the aspect of tough love. Because right now we are having a lot of tough conversations, but I think what we're in the majority and realizing, no matter what you look like, is that's rooted in love and wanting us all to succeed and it's bigger than sports. And I think we get this just because in our community, we know tough love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That might be the only love some people get. But also like when it came in sports, you know, uh, Lisa and I are both members of the WNBA family. Mm where we're a league that's 80% black women. You know, the NFL is almost around 70% black and you are stepping into a position where you are one of the first, the only, the different, a lot of different categories proudly. We're absolutely in a time where you mentioned mistrust and communication, all those things that are so vital. We are just seething with emotions and trying to channel them in the proper ways. And I think a lot of times when it comes to football, that's been its own form of a struggle just because in basketball, in the WNBA, we like sort of know who we are. Like, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, like we stand in solidarity because that's our entire existence. It seems like these conversations in football are rather new. And we know that they came on the grand political stage a couple years ago with the certain experiences of others. And now we're at a point where, especially on this podcast, which I'm really like excited to say that we had Emmanuel Acho, who was on, who sat down with Commissioner Roger Gondell. Acho, he's a hoot. But his whole conversation, uncomfortable conversations, the one of them that resonated the most was with Roger Goodell, who a lot of people see as the title commissioner and not necessarily as Roger, who is learning along the way. So, how would you say the NFL now in its present state is really responding to being one of those entities that has been looked to, you know, advance other people's political ambitions, has been looked to as the center point of conversation where, all right, we may not have been like the WNBA 23 years ago, like not new to this, true to this. Now we're all sort of getting on the same page. How would you evaluate the NFL right now in this moment?
2: Yeah, I think the NFL is a really interesting case study because I think the NFL and our fan base is like this. It's very representative of America, very representative. And I think the NFL itself represents the evolution that our country is on. Mm -hmm. Right. You said, you know, this is a newer conversation to the NFL than it is to the WNBA. It is a newer conversation to America. I feel like we are in lockstep with the awakening that's happening across our country. And that makes it interesting. That also makes it very messy. And I don't think the NFL would have ever picked to be the steward of this conversation, but it was thrust upon us. And I have to give credit to the league office um, for finding its footing on this over time. And that's why I really loved Emmanuel's interview with Roger. I think one of the things that helps this conversation is to recognize everybody's starting where they're starting and they can't help it. Most people are ignorant about Black history. Most people are ignorant about topics of social justice. All of us, even if we're Black and we've been engaged on it for some time, you know, this is not widely known stuff. There's not a depth of understanding in this. And so even though it's hard, and especially if you've been on the wrong end of some sort of systemic oppression, it's hard. But giving that space for people to be where they are and grow, say stupid stuff, and still be friends with them, like that is, and it's a burden that we shouldn't have to carry as people of color, but it is a part of this process. And I think the NFL is modeling that. And that means sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. But credit to the league office, to the teams, and most certainly to the players who have been that patient source, that empathetic source, who have Mm -hmm. taken the shots on the chin and continue to lead the way and engage for helping us evolve over time. And I'm proud to be a part of it. And I'm excited to jump in. Now, you know, I got a lot going on, but I will always pause (laughs) to help with this because I don't think it's political. I don't think it's partisan. I think it is just unambiguously good to be a part of
0: I have one more question, if you don't mind. Um, You were recently quoted saying that it might take a little bit longer getting Mm -hmm. a name. Yeah. How is that process going?
2: I mean, it's it's going. It's going. (laughs) uh, You know, what I'll say is this. It's a monumental decision that's going to shape the identity of this franchise for the next hundred years or more. That's a big decision. And I don't think we know our fan base well enough to draw some names out of a hat and roll with it. You know, um, but I hear them. I hear them loud and clear. Actually, I heard them this week loud and clear. Like, hey, we need a name. But I think we are settled in for a longer journey because we really want to connect with people.
1: I like the fact whenever I read about things going on there in Washington, you know, it's always about the DMV. Don't you guys think you need to just like tie in like the DMV Woodpacks, Packs or something like bring that whole trifecta together? Mm-hmm. Something like that with the W, the Washington, the Woodpacks. Packs. Yeah, okay. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Before we let you go, we have got to um, just do a little rapid fire with you. We're going to ask you a few questions, and if you could, answer them uh, as fast as you can. Yeah. Question number one, what book is on your nightstand right now?
2: Oh, I have it right in front of me. Um, what do I have here? I've got Iron John. Iron John? Yeah, it's a book about, actually, it's a book about moving out of toxic masculinity.
1: Oh, oh. Yeah. OK, it's
2: Book. it's a really it's a really great book. That's what hey,
0: can- when you're done with that, Jason, send it to me so I can send it to some of these people. <laughs> <laughs> so I can pass that along. OK, um, next question. What is your biggest splurge?
2: Oh, it's food. I'm a foodie. You're
1: a foodie?
2: Yeah, yeah me and my wife take food based vacation. We go to Napa Valley. Oh, nice. I- I bed, like, and we eat at really nice restaurants. That's our thing.
1: Oh, I like that. OK, so I'm going to need a text message on a whole, like, recommendation yeah, around the
2: world. Lever's French Laundry in Yountville, California. Best meal I've ever had.
1: Wow. OK. On my list. Yeah. OK, Jason. So what are three things eight year old Jason would have in his pocket?
2: Oh, <laughs> I have one of those little bouncy balls.
1: Uh those little
2: like things from the 25 cent machine the
1: one that goes with the jacks but yeah
2: yes yes, but I would only but I only use a little ball and I would just bounce that thing all over and like (laughs) chase it down it was sort of like anything
1: that's how you got that footwork together huh yeah exactly
2: Yep. (laughs) probably have a little dirt in my pocket because I was studying out in the open you know picking grass I was like I like being in nature and um I probably had like a couple dollars in there. I was all about saving money as a kid. My parents nice. tried to make me financially literate. So I had this savings account that I was always building towards. So that's, that's probably what I had.
1: That's awesome. So you were
0: destined for that business degree.
2: I my parents probably. again. But you know
1: what, Janae, you noticed that he had money. And I told you I, I used to water grass. I had money to dust, So that was important. Yeah.
0: My big sis always had money. So I always mooshed off. Yeah. Of her. Um, <laughs> what is a talent? that no one knows that you're good at?
2: Ooh. Mm. Well, before I was an athlete, I was in musical theater. That was like my big thing growing up. Nice.
1: Yeah. Did you play oh, instruments too? Or I, don't,
2: I don't. I mean, I play a little bit of like piano by ear, but it's not good. It's not good. But like, oh. um, yeah, I can play like guitar chords on piano, but nothing worth writing home about. But yeah, like I used to love singing, and dancing, Broadway type stuff.
0: Ah. Hamilton.
2: I, you, know, you know, I have not seen Hamilton.
0: You haven't seen
1: Hamilton? I know.
2: I know. Because here's why. Here's Jeez. why. My wife and I talked about it. She was like, it was when we were getting ready, uh, the tickets we had were right when COVID hit. Oh. And so she was like. It's on Disney Plus. Not. I know. But she was like, I'm not going to watch it on Disney Plus. You I'm going to wait.
1: No, it's actually excellent on Disney Plus. Like, I've seen it, it four is. times. Trust All me. Right. Get right.
0: the big screen. See, my whole family went without me because I was out there working in California. They're like, we're not waiting for you. We're going to Hamilton on tour. They loved it. And so I waited for an opportunity. Again,
1: pandemic hit. And then I just watched on Disney+. Plus. Worth it. Do it was excellent.
2: Love it. Love just it. turn love the volume it.
1: up, though. You got to really make it surround sound. Okay.
2: All right. I'm on. I'm on it.
1: Okay. So who was the last person you kissed?
2: Oh, it's my wife.
1: <laughs> that was the quickest answer we've ever got.
2: No, oh, it might have been my little, my eight, my nine-year-old kissing her goodnight. It might have been that. But one of the two.
0: Okay. Dear. So cute. What is a song that's stuck in your head right now?
2: Oh, upstairs, my kids discovered the song that never ends.
1: The song that never ends? Oh, The
2: song that never
1: ends. Yeah. Okay. What is your mantra that stays front and center in your life?
2: Hmm. It's a good one. I'd say right now it's this Maya Angelou quote that I've been anchored on. It's on my email. It's, do your best until you know better. And when you know better, do better.
0: Nice. A word, a word. We appreciate you so much, Jason Wright, for joining us. You really are making your mark, even though you just knew on a job. And yes, yes, um, what you've been able to do, all the transitions you made professionally just set you up for this perfect stage. Mm. And so we are absolutely rooting for you, your success, and also for your football team to win too. So,
1: I'm not going to lie to you, Jason. I'm not rooting for your team. But I really, really am uh, rooting for you. Thank you so much. Continue blessings to you and your family. Okay, and good luck to you, team. Thank you. <laughs> Take it easy. We appreciate you. Of Thank course. you so much. Yeah. We'll be right back.
0: has run out it's the final buzzer we are done for today but make sure you guys subscribe to our podcast on Spotify Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to our podcast right Lise
1: yes exactly and let us know what you guys think of our show we'd love to hear from you so hit us up you can find me on Instagram at Lisa Leslie or on Twitter at Lisa Leslie
0: and you can find me on both places as well at Chiney or you can text your girl if you want to you can hit me up on the hotline 281-248-8134. Text me, give us your thoughts. Or if you want to email us, you can email us at frontandcenter@bluewirepods.com. Again, that is frontandcenter@bluewirepods.com. We shall see y'all next time.
1: Peace. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Peace. Bye. Bye. <laughs>